Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, bots and cons to Tech Talk, the officially unofficial Transformers TCG podcast. I'm joined, as always, by Scott of VectorSigma.info, but we also have a special guest, a recurring guest, your favorite brand manager in mind. It's Drew. Hey, everybody. Welcome back, Drew. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. How are you guys doing? Good. Uh, yeah, like I had said pre-show, I'm, I'm warm. <laughs> it's very warm here. <laughs> You know, I keep looking at all of the awful weather that friends and coworkers and such have been suffering throughout the United States, and I, I'm sitting in Seattle and it's like 70 degrees. Nice. <laughs> you get to dodge it a little bit. Yeah. Although, um, uh, before we dive into everything, it sounded like uh, you're not going to be in Seattle for, I guess, too much longer because you're going to be traveling soon, right? That's right. I am going to, I'm flying out to San Diego Comic-Con. Awesome. Uh, this week. And then I, a few weeks, I will see everybody at Gen Con. Yes. And that we're going to, it's a great segue because that, that's pretty much what we're, we've been pretty excited about. Wouldn't you say, Scott? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I've mentioned on the show multiple times before Gen Con's a big deal for my family and I, but it's even more exciting because of the things coming from the Transformers TCG. So, uh, okay. If there's, is there anything you wanted to, oh, go ahead, Drew. Sorry. It's going to be, it's going to be a big event. I'm, I'm really excited to see, uh, all the wave three tech. Yep. I'm excited to see, um, all the fans. Uh, there's going to be a bunch of us there, so it'll be, uh, oh, great. I will be there and, uh, um, Scott Van Essen and Matt Smith will all, all be at Gen Con. Awesome. That's exciting to have that much first party representation right there at, the premier event or one of the premier events. Yeah. We, we try and get out to, to see and talk and play with fans uh, as much as possible, but there's really nothing like going to a convention where you can, where there's such a concentration of, of fans and you can really have really meaningful conversations about what's working, what's not, um, you know, play games and, and see how, how fans are reacting to and players are reacting to new cards, upcoming stuff. It's, it's super valuable for us. And, uh, you know, Gen Con is an awesome, awesome convention. Out of curiosity and Scott, I want to, I know you had some stuff, some burning questions, but out of curiosity, is it a hundred percent a working thing? Like, do you guys get to actually play at all? Enjoy the con as a, a con goer in any extent? You know, it's, it's funny that that sort of, <laughs> I think that sort of loops into a larger conversation that we frequently have, hmm. which is, as tabletop game professionals, how do we enjoy tabletop games? And that's probably too much for the show. Hmm. But yes, we, we do get to do um, uh, a little bit of personal stuff. Awesome. Um, go and visit other friends at other game companies. Um, you know, I've worked at a few other game companies, and I'm, I'm excited to see friends and former coworkers. So th there's always that. Awesome. Yeah, it, it uh, I was kind of thinking in the back of my head, I'm like, I hope they get to, you know, sit down and actually play some games too, because... <laughs> uh, Robo Rally, I, I, I am, I am hell-bent to actually get in some games of Robo Rally while I'm at Gen Con. Okay. <laughs> I, I know of the game, I've never played it, but now it's on my, my to-do list. <laughs> Since you brought it uh, up. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun. Okay. Uh, old, old, old Watsy game. Okay. It was, the, it was the first game that Richard Garfield brought to Watsy, right? That is correct. That is that is absolutely correct, and it's got and the, the folks at Gen Con do a, a superb job of of keeping it fresh. 
Awesome. They used to have like a live one, I remember, like with people in, or something like that, or big figures or something like that back in the day. I, I haven't done that. That sounds fantastic. I w- <laughs> Maybe there's footage out there of, or something. <laughs> I'm I'm, sure <laughs> I'll have to go combing through YouTube or something. <laughs> um, but anyway, to, to rope us back in, uh, Scott, let me pitch it to you because Scott had sent me a list of a whole bunch of questions. I'm like, all right, man. I'm going to let you lead on this one. So you, one of your first things was about the, I guess, the OP cycle. So do you want to go ahead, Scott? Yeah, I was just wondering. Um, I, I had heard you on other interviews, but I guess uh, also just to to deeper dive here. Just, I guess, what about now in this game cycle ha- has created the need um, or desire for organized play at this level, and and what do you think led to this, and and where did the decision come from to to dive in? I guess head first the way that we see it. I mean, that, that's a great question. And, and I know a lot of people have questions about why now. Uh, I think it's it's because of the perspective that we have on organized play. Uh, with a game like Transformers TCG, where there is such a, a large potential fan base, adults, children who play tabletop games, adults, children who love Transformers, that's a huge and varied base. And I, I think going back to one of our, our much, much earlier interviews almost a year ago, um, maybe nine months ago, I, I talked about how organized play can be a sign to some potential players that it's it's not a game for them. And I think that really, really a, a more macro way to look at it is to say, we look at organized play as a retention mechanic. Um, it's it's a, a way to keep people invested in the game in the long term by providing meaningful experiences for them and opportunities for them to develop their skill and show their skill and be rewarded for it. So, now, after we got through the launch period and are moving into the sustain period for the, the TCG, it's, it's appropriate to have a powerful retention mechanic like organized play. Uh, why we did it very specifically now is because we look at organized play at two levels. We look at, at local game store organized play. And providing that as a tool for local game stores to engage and retain their their communities that they've they've worked hard to build and then that's why we do things like the in-store play kit which are you know physical tools that the store can use to help reward players who come back on a regular basis and then conventions and so we're, we're really looking at this at conventions as the the venue for the higher level organized play which is why things feed into convent local game store play feeds into a convention makes sense when you're, when you're at conventions, they're defined events, right? Like they're, they're big things and you can plan for, it's like we were talking, you can plan for Gen Con, yep. which means you can play in your local local events. You can test out new deck tech. You can, you can um, collaborate with, with your fellow players on the local level, try out, figure out, and you know that you're going to bring something or a couple of decks to a big event like Gen Con or like PAX Unplugged. So, um, and, and so because many of the conventions run from spring through fall, there, re- there really aren't a, a ton of huge national-level conventions in the winter. Uh, that's why we started Organized Play now. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah that, about it that way. Uh, that's a very logical, kind of what we'd expect the, <laughs> with the, the, all of the evidence behind it. Um, so to segue from there, one of the questions I had since we're now a little bit removed from the first big organized play event at Origins, I unfortunately wasn't able to attend. So we kind of have a number of different perspectives on it. Me as the spectator, Scott as one of the competitors, you from 
uh, the organization side, Drew. Whether it's origins or future events or even at the store level, what exactly does success look like? Obviously, it's lots of people playing the game, but is there anything in particular that I, from the spectator point of view, just to put it out there, origin sounded fantastic. And I really regret being unable to make it, but real life conspired against me. So is there anything as a takeaway from origins that said, oh yeah, we definitely need to repeat that or... Are we talking a few months from now? You're gonna. That's when you're really gonna assess all of these things from this season. No, we we've already started reassessment. Um, one of the things that is characteristic of, of working at Wizards is rapid iterative improvement. So okay. we do a thing, we evaluate how the thing did, we look at what we can improve in the short, mid, and long term. And so we we started that as soon as John got back from Origins, we were start processing the data. You know, we had. I, I look at it like three three different areas. One was um, from the spectator point of view, how did, how did Origins go? Uh, second, from the com- player point of view, how did Origins go? And third, from the business side. So I, I, we, I can talk happily talk about uh, each of those areas, and then I'm, I'm cu- but I'm curious if you want to give feedback from a spectator and player point of view first before I dive into that. Sure. Well, I, Scott, let me. Since you were actually there and have the firsthand experience, I guess we'll might as well start with you. Yeah, sure. I thought it was great. Um, <clears throat> it was great to be able to go on multiple days and have large competitive events um, and be able to. It actually didn't take up quote the entire day. Um, like we were still able to go to dinner. We were still able to hang out at night and, and do whatever we were going to do. Um, when I go to these types of events, like I'm not there typically to do other things. I'm there to play the game that I'm there to play. So it didn't, it didn't phase me at all to have an event every single day. Um, obviously I think the Gen Con schedule is a little more aggressive and that may not occur, but I understand why. Um, but for me, having multiple events, um, having the qualifier system, I thought was also, uh, really great because that way, like there's, you're always playing for something. Uh, even if it's, you know, even if you already qualify, you're still getting prize tickets. Um, I just thought it was really, it it was really fun and exciting to play in them. There was no, you know, it was the highest level competition that there's been in this game. There were, there wasn't a lot of margin for error. The top 32 on Sunday was like, you know, completely, uh, I guess, definitely the highest level of competition I've seen. Um, you know, everyone was primed, ready to go. Um, it, it, it was, it was really neat that like one win you were like, okay, I'm good to go. I'm now qualified for December. And then it was basically just like, okay, every round past that just had a different sense of what you're actually competing for. And it was almost like completely separate gaming experiences every round and it's been a long time since i've played on the pro tour and things like that that it's felt like that so that's what i enjoyed about it cool uh so from our from my point of view and from the organization's point of view uh the player experience overall was very good i think some of the key positives are primarily what you talked about play level was pretty high um we saw a wide diversity in in cards played over the course of, of the qualifier events, which is something that's really important to us. We, um, even though there were some decks that ended up doing better than others as a category, I think the fact that many people felt comfortable ca- coming into qualifying events, playing a variety of decks, um, and Ken Nagel's article recently crunched the data on that. 
in a way that and the way that we find very positive. Um, the schedule of events was very good. I think there was one other thing that I that that was super successful, um, which was the morning mini master. I thought it was a really good way to get uh, people up going, get them on the convention floor, um, you know, early in the day and provide them with a great, great uh, start experience to get warmed up for the day. Um, we heard a lot of good feedback about that. The multiple qualifier system seemed very, very positive for everyone. Uh, I, people really enjoyed, as you noted, that they could play multiple days even after they qualified. And and that that allowed people to feel like this, hey, this is a Transformers event that I'm going to, and I, I get to do a lot of Transformers play. Um, some negatives: uh, the deck red sheets were problem were problem, and we uh, significantly revised the deck red sheets, taking into account the feedback from players and spectators, uh, and the folks at Pastimes Games, who I want to give a shout out to: um, Chris Tulak from Wizards Events, and John and Allen from Pastimes Games, and all the Pastimes staff are are fantastic. Not just because they run good events, but because of the feedback that they give us and helps us improve the events. Awesome. Um, so I thought from the from the player point of view, um, I think things were really good. Um, uh, there were some some rules questions that came up over the course of the event, and I think that we we have a better understanding about how to handle that on site. Sending an additional person um, is is pretty key. It, it'll give us a little bit more coverage. Um, and with Scott and Matt there as um, rules experts um, to assist. Uh, the, the pastimes judges, and then me there from a brand of PR point of view, I think that we'll have good, good uh, coverage from Watsi. So uh, overall, we were pretty happy. Um, how do you feel as a spectator? Well, I think I may be a unique case to some extent. And the reason I, well, Scott's laugh, there, there's text messages for me count as a spectator sport, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, I was following along on Twitter. I was trying to keep up with the other uh, stuff. Obviously we have the uh, Vector Sigma discord, but um, it's, I say I'm a unique case because I'm someone who loves to, to kind of revel in information. So I know that, and from other aspects of my life that there is a point where it's information overload. But for me, it's very, the threshold for that is very high point. So where I'm going with this is that if you guys just flooded every social media channel with like all kinds of updates all day and all night about what was going on, I personally would never get tired of it. Uh, but I can certainly understand both logistically or also, Again, just from inundating and oversaturating that maybe that's not a route to go. Um, but overall, I did like seeing, you know, who was hitting what at, at certain rounds. I guess the only things would be if, especially in later rounds, there were, you know, the standings were tweeted out kind of thing. So somebody from home could say, oh, well, you know, I'm watching Scott. He was talking about on the last tech talk that he wanted to play such and such, how's he doing sort of thing without necessarily following him personally. That's good feedback. And I'll bring that back to the events team. Um, regarding information overload, I think what we need to do is make it, uh, the information a little bit more opt-in. So people who do want to have mm -hmm. a much more detailed look can have that. I think streaming will help. That was one of the uh, things I was going to ask about. Yes, you beat me to it. <laughs> uh, 
Unfortunately, the the big tabletop conventions aren't really um, geared for streaming in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. GenCon has a very very healthy and active uh, streaming <laughs> program, and we're going to be working with them to see if we can get uh, some streaming at, at least of the final event. Awesome. But, but no no promises yet. We're still okay. working on that. <laughs> well, we um, definitely look forward to it because uh, it. I mean, that's something really cool, and it, it's obviously showing up in a number of other areas. So. Um, Getting it's just another avenue that would be a great way to consume the content. Yep, I, I think so as well. And being able to watch replays of, of of especially the final events, I would say like you know the top eight or so. I was really valuable. I was going to say I I'm probably <laughs> just knowing my play skill. I probably won't be playing on Sunday, but God, if anybody watches my, I mean, you've seen my replays on YouTube already for some of the stuff. It's bad. <laughs> Oh, I'm a technically awful player, so I know exactly where you're coming from. I, I go back I, and watch some of them, like, oh man, <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I, I always, I always can, go, you know, go back afterwards and I'm like, oh, just if I had just done that in a different order, or uh, whatever. Yeah. Um, well, from the organization point of view, we thought it was very successful. Good. Um, you know, what, what, there's there's a couple of big benefits to a game to have organized play, and, and one of the biggest ones is it. it um, gets people thinking about deck tech. Yeah. Um, and, and when people think about deck tech, I mean, we're a business, right? We are in the business of making and selling cards. And that gets people thinking about what they should be uh, acquiring for their collection um, and what they should be playing and how they should be reacting to it. Mm-hmm. And so that really helps spur people to collect additional cards. And that's from, a, from a, a business point of view, that's super healthy and one of the main benefits. And when we talk about this as being an engagement tool, it's not just engagement on the, I should go to uh, an event because I, I want to win prizes or want to win recognition, but it's, it also helps people keep thinking and up with what's going on in the game. <clears throat> there's right. some, there's always some danger of stagnation, right? Like people have a favorite deck. I have a favorite magic deck. I remember playing a Necro deck from 22 years ago, right? Like it's, I, would, I would still say it's my favorite deck. Uh-huh. But um, as new cards come out, new strategies come out for any to any collectible game, and organized play helps push that to the forefront yep. in a very visible way. So from, from an organization point of view, we thought Origins was very, very successful. Um, there were a number of really, really interesting uh, decks that came out of that. There was some really good sideboard tech that we saw. Um, sorry, I'm going to go back. I think sideboards worked out really well. Um, I think there's still plenty of of um, uh, theory crafting that the the player community can do on sideboards. But I thought there were some really innovative sideboards. Um, siding, sideboarding into twin primes was uh, a phenomenally interesting. Uh, way to use the sideboard i think one that was that was very successful and i think there's more of that hidden away that people can discover and i'm excited to see what people do with it at gen con awesome so going forward uh at both gen con as we move closer to the invitational is there anything specifically that you were lo- as a a target in mind for any of the other metrics or anything else you want to share on that front before we move on to scott's gigantic list of other stuff <laughs> You know, I, I, I know you love da- I, I, you guys love data, but I think I'm going to hold the stuff a little closer to the vest. Um, I, I will say <laughs> that I'm, I'm just generally continued diversity in in, meta, in the metagame, particularly in the qualifying rounds, is important to us. Um, uh, seeing people um, be successful with decks from the that include cards from the new uh, 
uh, War for Cybertron Siege 1 is exciting. Um, and I'm really, really excited to see what will happen um, with people try Blaster versus Soundwave cards and add them into the mix. I will, as soon as I can get my hands on it, I will be one of those people. I can promise you that. So, um, Scott, the just to alternate a bit. So you had a question about, I guess, the end of any given tournament regarding how the prizes came to be. Yeah, so uh, this is not a complaint. This is more of a curiosity thing, probably in the industry more than it is specifically tied to this. I'm just wondering how you arrived at pure cash prizes as opposed to other things that most I see other gaming games or gaming companies do and what that how that looks to you and if that was an easy decision or if you, if you you know what you think of that decision obviously it's the right decision for you but how you came about making that decision so going to a big event is an investment for a player right like unless you happen to live within like a three-hour drive it is it is specifically taking you out of your normal life um and for many people that's you know either an airline flight or hotels um and so one of the reasons why we looked at um, a cash prize pool is because um, it's an, it, it helps offset for those people who have made the, the greatest investment. Um, and not everybody is going to win, right? But we, we, we tried to make the, the prize pool a little bit flatter. That is, so more people um, were able to win prizes. Um, and that is... So you know, people who put in a lot of work and, and feel like they have a good shot at it can can help offset the, the, the investment that they make in going to a convention. And we've you know, you've been there, I've been there, we've all been there. We know what it's like. We know what it's like to take off time, to you know, scramble for a hotel room or what have you. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons why we did that direct prizing. Um, and then as for with regard to the other prizes, we always want to do something special. Mm-hmm. I, Someone doesn't like prizes. Yeah. <laughs> or they're really Rory's excited not, about it. Rory's not a fan of prizes, apparently. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we wanted to give something a, a little special, so that's why at Origins we gave out booster boxes of War for Cybertron early. Mm-hmm. That's why at um, Gen Con, we're gonna, the top eight will get um, uh, Blaster vs. Soundwave 35th Anniversary Edition. Uh and then we've got some extremely cool stuff uh, in the the, uh, the other prize category coming up for PAX Tabletop. And we're not going to announce it now, but but our friends at Hasbro have been been helpful uh, <laughs> as well. That sounds pretty enticing. I mean, I was planning on making that trip anyway to be there, so I'm excited to see when that's actually announced and then whatever it does happen to be. Uh, I, I, when we have when we have it in hand, mm. uh, announce it. We'll 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 post, but uh, it, it's some good stuff. Awesome. I do want to say real quick, um, as someone that won a prize, and it's been a long time since I won a prize from Wizards. I was extremely impressed with the speed and accuracy as to which you paid out the, uh, the prizes. So kudos to you on that. I don't know who handles that, but it was very well done. Uh, that's a shout out to Scott Larrabee, our, the Wizards events manager, um, and he's been been running Wizards events uh, from behind the scenes, and in some cases in the front of the scenes uh, for for a number of years now. And he's really honed out how we can get because no one wants to win a prize and then take take forever for it to arrive, right? So mm-hmm. uh, I, I appreciate that, and I'll pass it along. Awesome, credit where credit is due. By the way, I, I don't think I actually said that to, to you. In, 
voice to voice, but congrats on, on, on placing. Oh, thanks. <laughs> uh, so anything else you wanted to query on that end, Scott, because I, I was no, going to no, steal I'm, your I'm, next I'm one. <laughs> no, I was just curious. Go for it. I'm going to take care of some things while you talk. While you talk. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. So one of the other things we had on the list, Drew, was how much is organized play going to influence or do you anticipate that it's going to influence any of the sets going forward so specifically we're talking about certain strategy becomes popular will we see answers down the line or since we're getting wave three war for cybertron siege just we just got it shortly before gen con is that the intent going forward that we'll have set then big event following it versus an elongated period to figure it out or anything along those lines that you can fill us in on? So that, that, that's, that's a multi-part question with a yes. multi-part answer. So I would say that it is, or the existence of organized play and the fact that we knew that was going to happen has already influenced our design. Of course. And in, in, uh, in particular, how we've rolled out mechanics. For example, there, there's a reason the black pips are releasing now. Um, it's because we have with the invitational qualifiers, we've opened up a wide variety, uh, assortment of events at local game stores, and limited is going to be one of the ways that those events are going to to happen. And black pips, and it's interesting. I, I was watching your um, or listening to rather your discussion on black pips and the analysis thereon. Mm. Um, and one of the things you noted is that. Black pips clearly have some; they do some work in in limited, but that was not really the focus. You were talking about constructed, yes. And black pips really were designed significantly as a way to help limited games move along in a timely manner, Makes sense. and be able to come to a, a a good conclusion without feeling like they were stalemating too often. Gotcha. So that timing was very specific in our mind. Awesome. Uh, and I, I would say that there's a few other things. Secret actions also rolling out in this set also are timed um, with the advent of, of organized play because they allow for a, a much deeper s- uh, uh, analysis of the game that rewards skill. Uh, when to play a specific secret action, predicting your opponent's event, what they're going to do next turn. The whole back and forth is very, very rewarding for highly skilled players. Yes. Um, and so that is also something that we, we released now for that reason. And you'll note that those are both also kind of complicated um so they they were less suitable for the initial the rollout period of the the game oh absolutely right so this all sort of segue syncs together in one one longer plan that you see unfold from wizards and they again to not to be a broken record or beat the dead horse or cliche of choice but that's kind of what we've come to expect with that with with wizards, we we go in knowing that these are the sort of things that we can anticipate. This level of attention to detail. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate that. That's it, that's super important. We, we appreciate when you when when fans um, see that because it does take a lot of work on the back end. Uh, we and one thing I will say is we don't have us, and I think you guys got this from us, but we don't have while we have a plan. The mm-hmm. plan is constantly reevaluated. Oh, of course. And and to, to answer the second half of your question, hmm. if we see something that in play 
that is emergent and unexpected, yes, we absolutely react to that when we when we are doing design for future sets. Okay. One add-on here that uh, Scott and I had, and since he's muted right now, I can get it in before he gets back. Um, oh, no, I'm, he just... I'm, I'm here. I'm still here. I'm still <laughs> I was, here. It was a joke, Scott. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things that we had discussed briefly offline is... Uh, Magic has, and this is more of an organizational thing, so unless Magic has changed drastically in the years since I played it, they have a set ban uh, announcement, and there isn't always something banned, but it's, you know, when something happens, barring something important, and it has to be addressed now, are we looking to move towards a more regimented schedule along those lines? So do you mean something like how Magic has quarterly banned and restricted list updates? Correct. Um, not not right now. Um, I think as we are moving to, say, the first full season of organized play, we're going we're gonna to keep it a little bit more open so that we can react as necessary. Gotcha. One thing I will say is it, we, we, all, we are extremely against making significant changes right before an event, like within, um, you know. I don't want to pin you to something, so don't feel like you have to give us a number. Right. But, but, like, but like, I think we think it's, it's, it's except for the most egregious cases, mm-hmm. it's generally not a good idea to ban a card, say, a, a week before the event. Yes. Right? But that's, not, <laughs> that, that's, not the, that's too disruptive. Right. Um, it, would, it would have to be something that was that completely off the radar and, and kind of crazy that came up for that to happen. Gotcha. Um, the team. So, oh, god, sorry. I, I would say in the future we might consider doing a a, a sort of quarterly update, but for now we're just going to keep it flexible. Given the the level of communication from the team, which again I I call attention to because I feel it's it's been fantastic and it's also very important that. To reiterate a previous point again, it, I'm confident going into these things that when you tell me, okay, you guys have a handle on it and you know what's going on, I have a level of implicit trust that I'm going to, okay, yeah, I'll I'll take their word on it and I'm going to believe them going forward as opposed to, you know, there are obviously other scenarios where it would be less amicable. <laughs> you know, we, we tried very hard to earn that trust. And I think one of the, the ways that you, we demonstrated that was how we how we handled the infinite turns deck. Exactly. That uh, yeah. I, I said this when we when I we announced and we discussed um, uh, swap parts. Swap parts is a problem in, without regard to the the um, infinite turns deck. But mm. I said you know we're going to take this step and see what progresses, and then you know there was another version of that deck that came up, and unfortunately it was too late in the printing process to make some changes. Gotcha. So we had to take a, a strong, a stronger move. There was actually a version of that deck that involves a little one um, that I think, I don't know if anybody actually published it. Someone referred to it, but that deck was even stronger than the red, the, the, the versions that, that were discussed when wave three came out. Um, and we knew that even though it was not as bulletproof as the original version of the deck we mm-hmm. had to make a change and so we did makes sense um, and I, I think that if we can continue to be transparent and talk about why we've done things and if there's something serious like in like the infinite deck talk about what the, the threshold for us to make additional changes are i think we'll we'll continue to earn that respect and that will just help players know what's going to happen so that they can predict what the life 
what their gameplay is going to be like and, and their engagement in the game. Exactly. And it, you, <laughs> you said everything pretty much exactly as I kind of would have expected that it's about building that trust. It's about earning the respect, as you put it, from the players that we ha all have faith in the way the team is making decisions, whether it's new cards, it's decisions, for lack of a better way to describe it, outside the game such as that or other metagame decisions, tournament structures, whatever it happens to be. Yeah, and you know what's important is it's important that the, the, the community continues to be upfront. I don't I don't think there's there's ever a case where this doesn't happen. Right. But you speak to us, the community here speaks to us. We listen, and that's 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 how we are able to judge whether or not we've earned the trust and how our decisions are going. Right. Sounds good. Uh, Scott, I think that kind of covers it for what I wanted or was trying to go for out of this question. Are our furry co-hosts satiated? Sort of. Sort of. <laughs> They're good enough. They're good enough for now. Ever fully satiated? No. No. That's for sure. I had to figure out how to get into cabinets once, and I come home, taking <laughs> all the cereal out of the cabinets, and there's a very fat, overly stuffed dog in the middle of my kitchen. <laughs> six cereal boxes ripped apart around it. Oh, man. But we love them anyway. We love them anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let me let me kick it back to Scott then, because Scott, the next one up was uh, some of the decision about the the circuit as a whole that you wanted to inquire about. Yeah, I think you've tangentially hit on this um, by explaining basically what the convention uh, time schedule is. I guess that it probably explains it. It might just be the easy answer, but I was just curious if there was any decision making that went into you know how the the opens exist, how the qualifiers exist, you know, um, that, that it all leads to the, you know, the, the Energon Invitational in December at PAX Unplugged. Um, we can segue into the store championship part of it. Just, just how you came about with this system and if there were other systems you thought about and how are you going to like measure the success of this system versus maybe others you might've thought of shorter sure. seasons, things like that, whatever else I've seen in the past or in, in, in other Watsi games and things like that. Sure. Uh, so one one of the things that we that drove this, that war for Cybertron is broken down into two booster releases, uh, and we wanted to be able to support both War for Cybertron Siege One and Two. Um, and we haven't officially announced when it's happening, but Two will release before the the final the Energon Invitational, um, and there will be. You know, there, there'll be a, a period where people are brewing and, and coming up with a deck tech just like they did for Origins, but Origins was at the very end of uh, Rise of the Combiners. Right. So we wanted to pick dates that worked with our product releases, because ultimately, organized play is supporting players and supporting product. Of course. Uh, as for um, the events that we chose, Origins Gen and Gen Con have a really big benefit in that they are relatively central located vast, vast country of ours. Um, and while it's a little bit easier for folks on the East coast to get to both of those events, uh, we wanted to make sure that, uh, at least two of our events, um, were centrally located. So given the fact that tabletop gamers are also all, already gravitating to those two events, that's, that's one of the main reasons why we picked origins and Gen Con. PAX Unplugged is a relatively new convention. 
Um, and I was there last year, and and it, it had nothing but good things to say about uh, PAX Unplugged. Um, we're big fans of PAX here. Uh, PAX West is in our our, our uh, backyard, um, and PAX Tabletop, with its focus on tabletop play, um, and the fact that Philadelphia is a very friendly city to get to, um, plus the timing made us decide that that was the the right case for, place for the the Energon Invitational. Awesome. Um, as for in store play, uh, you know, feeding up to up to uh, uh, that period, so supporting Wave uh, Three uh, drove the timing there. Uh, one thing, one metric that I will say is. Um, uh, and this is really, I'm, I'm really addressing local store communities and store managers here, is one thing that, that we are looking closely at is who is actually reporting sanctioned Transformers play and how much are you reporting? Um, that weekly, weekly in-store play is a really good sign to us that stores are um, seeing a strong community, responding to that community, and providing them the support that they need through the Wizards event reporter system and, and, and weekly events. Uh, so I would, I would encourage, we still see stores that are having weekly play but not reporting it. And it's really important that if a store is running, you know, a Friday night or Tuesday night or whatever, uh, Transformers TCG night, that they, they report their play in, in Wizards event reporter. Can I make one quick comment about that? Absolutely. Can we get Always. Transformers pictures for the DCI cards? Oh, you mean the physical cards that you hand out? Well, I got the emailed one. So I had had it, and Scott, I know he has a, I don't remember if he told the story about his, like, two-digit DCI number, but... Um, you have a two? <laughs> no, four. four <laughs> there's, no, there's, there's none under a thousand. I, I know. A thousand. <laughs> it's a joke, Scott. Let it go. I know, I mean, hey, he knows. His <laughs> is low, too. I'm sure his is low, too. Probably. Yeah, but... Uh, I'm, I'm a five-digit number. Okay. Oh, so, wow. There you go. Mine, mine was... Much lower than it is now, but not that low. But anyway, that's not the point. Uh, so I signed up for a new one, and I went on to the to the site, and I said, "Oh yeah, email me a, a copy so that that way when I go to events, I'll have it because I'll never remember this, you know, twelve digit number or whatever it is." Uh, but all the pictures are very either generic or magic focused or D and D focused. There's nothing specifically for Transformers yet. Um, I will pass that along to that team. That okay. is a, a fine suggestion. It's a, it's one of those like it, that has got to be way down on the priority list, for, for, obviously. But it was just something that I noticed on there. Hey, it's a it's a it's a relatively easy thing that we can do. So I I will pass it to store and events team. Awesome. Put my name on, on Optimus or something. <laughs> I can't promise that. Okay, that that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> totally fair. Um, I completely sidetracked everything from there so <laughs> sorry about that um scott did you want to was there anything else you wanted to uh poke drew about for how what we're looking at came into existence i guess i guess my question is just kind of weird i don't really know that this matters to you guys like is there a certain number of people that you wanted to be qualified through the convention system versus through the the in-store play and then will i'm assuming somehow those metrics will then translate into any potential changes that would happen to the system in the future but i wasn't sure if there was anything that was like concrete about it or that that you thought about with the whole system 
I mean, we absolutely do think about that. As it's one of the things that we think about pretty heavily. Uh, we wanted to make sure that the vast majority of people who who uh, received qualifications were qualified through a store event, um, and we want the people who go to an event feel like they have a reasonable chance of getting a qualifying slot to the Energon Invitational. So, doing sixteen per per convention event felt like you know you have a reasonable chance of qualifying. Um, it's certainly within reach. Yes, and uh, you know we don't know how many people are actually going to show up to pack tabletop. Right. Uh, there's there's eighteen hundred or so stores received a uh, uh, an in store play kit for Wave Three. So eighteen hundred stores or so can run or are qualified to run a um, an invitational event. So wow, yeah, and some of the, some some percentage of that are folks over. Right, like in in non North American stores, because Transformers is worldwide. Of course, uh, but so we don't know how many people are actually going to make going to come. We'll find out. It's fire season closes on September thirtieth, so we we have some time to make sure final prep to whatever that size of people is who are actually who are going to come. Um, but you know, I think I, I think we're going to see a nice crowd. I would expect it. I mean, the, there's a big enough draw to begin with, but then you also add in that there are that many potentials. Uh, that That's pretty exciting. Right. I mean, there's just hundreds of stores who are qual- eligible to run a, an invitational qualifier within a four-hour driving distance of Philadelphia. Wow. I mean, you, you guys have an enormous crew there. Yeah. Right? There's a yeah. number of stores in the, in the Philadelphia, Jersey, New York area mm-hmm. who are actively playing. Um, and have active store communities. So I, it would not surprise me if, if those folks show up, whether or not they're qualified. Right. Oh, yeah, we we, uh, we assume that on the last chance qualifier system. Yeah, definitely. Yep. There's last chance qualifiers on site. Uh, so, you know, one more shot. And, of course, there'll be other Transformers play events. You know, sort of as a, it was a regular convention. You could events and, and limited events. Um so even if you're not in the actual Invitational itself, you'll still be able to play Transformers at the convention. Yeah, I've actually heard that. Um, shout out to the the guys on the WTF and TFW podcast because uh, Vangelis was mentioning that he was, <laughs> if he, even if he didn't qualify, he wanted to come down and hang out. And since I've been listening to their podcast for years, I, w- I would like to meet these guys in person as well. So um, maybe that'll actually happen. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's 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 a little bit of a drive, but it's not it's not an impossible drive for for Vangelis to come down from Canada, right? So uh, yeah, the the again bringing back the the spectator piece of it, uh, whether you're playing, you want to play on the side, or you want to just enjoy the game as a whole. There's a number of different ways to to consume the content. Yep, and a note a note for spectators: um, the DCI floor rules does talk about the rights and responsibilities. Of spectator at a, a, a sanctioned uh, event that's high level like the Energon Invitational um, but general you know we're, we're prepped our judges are prepped pastimes games is prepping we, we look forward to seeing you there whether you're in, invited or not awesome so moving from there since Scott brought up the store level qualifiers I'm going to kick it back to him again just for a little more detail about the the question he had for it regarding the structure for it. Do you want to handle that one, Scott, or would you prefer I do? Uh, I think he answered what my question was about the store level stuff. I, my question was more just about like the, um, like the system 
would the system potentially, and I'm sure this is the case, like expand in the future? I've had some, don't ask me why, tournament organizers contact me. I've obviously put them in touch with John. Um, running events in different areas, I'm sure if, if the system was to expand, I'm sure there's room for these types of events to happen more often, to have qualifier seasons, things like that. I'm sure you're looking at that kind of stuff. I was just curious, like, confirmation. I think there is some room to expand, uh, and we're going to take a look at it both on, a, on the strength of Transformers at a regional level and also um, uh, in looking at what people's play patterns are. But I think there's probably for a little bit more of high-level play not this season, but next season. And how do you define season? You know, I, I, as soon as I said those words, <laughs> I am mean, just sticking my foot in my mouth. I <laughs> like, I just threw, cast the line. You guys were like, got it. Um, <laughs> I don't want to answer that. That's a lot. I want to retain the flexibility. Understood. Um, oh, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I will say that not every booster set will be supported by uh, an invitational season, but most of them will. Oh, okay, cool. That's right. That's gotcha. What I yep. right, right now, it's looking like we're going to run one season per year. But that could change, especially if, this, if as we get towards the John Invitational, um, we see that this is even more wildly successful than it is. Yeah, to be honest with you, I've had conversations with people that, I mean, I don't, tr I'm not treating Gen Con any differently because I'm qualified for the Energon Invitational, or I'm not treating any of these events any differently. So, to me, oh god, the more <laughs> was that the you, more Scott? Better. <laughs> I don't think so. Maybe I don't think so. It was like a big tearing or somebody breathing into the mic. <laughs> it's just somebody move around. <laughs> okay. Sorry, that was probably me. Uh, my chair. No problem. That's Ben. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was not me. That that one is not me. <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, the the one thing I'll say is that there was a uh, most of the players that I talked to are not treating the events any less competitively because they're qualified or because there's you know or anything like that. To be honest with you, like we're going full force into even store qualifiers and things like that. So. The bragging if rights there, are important, too. It, so. Yeah, we're going to play it if it's there. So, And that, that was what was important to us as well. We, we realized that, and that's one of the reasons why we made the pass-down system for people who, um, so people who were qualified could play in further events, and that their the qualification slot, if they won another one, would pass down to the next unqualified player. We, we, knew, we knew that. We knew that the most engaged fans would want to play a lot, especially, you know, Gen Con, even if you're qualified, is great preparation for the Energon Invitational. It's, a, it's another chance to play against the best players in the region. And so we knew that was something that was important, so that's why we have that system the way it is. Makes sense. Uh, yeah, I think it's a real good benefit of the, of the whole thing. Everyone gets a chance to, to... I mean, for most of us, it's just about playing at that level of competition, so I totally agree that it's just about keeping yourself fresh and having... Not just playing the same people over and over again, so I totally agree. Sounds good. The uh, are we comfortable moving on to the next one, Scott? Do you have anything else that you wanted to bring up about no. that one? Yep. Okay, no, we're good there. Yep. I didn't want to cut it off since uh, there were a couple no, of no. additions there. So, no. 
you've alluded to some of the things for this one, and I I apologize for all the multi-parters, but part one is, did the announcement of organized play way back, it feels like forever, but it, it wasn't too long ago, did it produce any, like, a surge of interest, a surge of, of uh, stores or players or other avenues, people reaching out to you, Drew? Was it, did, did it make a, a notable impact? I'm assuming yes, but I'm curious how you guys would define either notable or. It, it absolutely made an, an impact. Uh, one of the most immediate impacts was that quite a number of, of stores and players who were looking for the existence of organized play as justification that this was something that was for them, mm-hmm. uh, more or less immediately hopped on board. Right. Uh, and th- that was something that we, that was, that was a, a cost benefit that we, we had to run early, early life cycle transformers is to, is we knew that there were, there were some stores and some players who really need the, the organized play to feel like it's, tabletop play at their level. Right. Uh, and so we made the tough decision early on to not launch organized play, to, to cast the widest net. And then once we had organized play announced, we, we saw a whole bunch of people who were basically just sort of waiting or waiting for it to happen, just flip the light switch in their brain and say, yeah, that's, that's it. Uh, uh, one of the other really quirky and interesting things that happened, right around the same time we announced organized play, um, Ken posted an article about how to improve uh, play with a Metroplex deck. And then at a couple of local, smaller local events, a couple of people brought a Metroplex deck and did well with it. And so kind of weirdly, we saw a surge in interest in in Metroplex right around that time as well. And, uh, you know, this is one of those weird things where we knew that Metroplex, while probably not a top, very top tier deck, when tuned and played properly, was certainly competitive. Yes. Uh, so a lot of people suddenly realized that all at once, and suddenly we saw a ton of discussion about Metroplex right around the same period, which was which was great and also funny. Yes. <laughs> I would imagine, it, was it the, the water cooler talk? and be like, hey, did you guys see what happened at X Local? Yeah, it was, it was pretty much that. Um, you know, and suddenly we start seeing people see playing it, we saw an upsurge in Metroplex sales uh, also at the time period, too, which was kind of funny. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, we ha- we kind of haven't seen the same thing for Devast- a six-wide aggro Devastator deck. Um, I think it needs a couple more tools. Wave 4 actually has a couple interesting tools for Devastator. Ooh, that, but, that's exciting. Yeah. Yep. Um, there, there's a specific interesting uh, tool in... Devastator that doesn't say construct a con or devastator on it. Um, but that deck neat will benefit from greatly. Interesting. All right, teasing us already, and we don't even know when that that uh, we just got three, and we're looking at four already. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, I will say this: six wide decks need a lot of pierce. Hmm. Yeah. They given the the two attack value three attack value it's uh, a little bit of a challenge to get up to those numbers you may need so that's another another avenue uh you had mentioned sales there for metroplex did do you feel or would you be able to share anything about how the organized play announcement impacted or did not impact siege on that front i think it was positive mm-hmm. um 
we, we think overall that, that the organized play announcement positively impacted both Siege and the number of stores who were carrying Transformers generally. So overall, it's, organized play is doing its job. Awesome. And that's great to hear because we've, I mean, we're, we've been so excited about it. Uh, we were obviously playing without it, but it adds another layer of, of enjoyment to the game. So, Yep. And, and I'll, I'll say one thing that always needs to be said when, when organized play exists for a game, playing without organized play for people who choose not to participate is also a completely valid and supported way to play. Absolutely. If you, player groups just want to play in, in their game store, not in events, or you know at their kitchen table, we love you too. And um, this, pro- this game is still also for you. Absolutely. It's never, and that's something uh, I owe Scott a couple articles uh, <laughs> that I got to write up. But one of the the things that I've mentioned in some of them is that the, those two areas are in by no means they don't consume each other. They they can no. peacefully coexist, no. and they can also be symbiotic, uh, one helping the other, or people just learning as they're. I'm a Transformers fan. I'm learning the game. Hey, I like. I kind of like playing competitively i like the excitement but you know sometimes i want to sit home and you know just goof around because they're my favorite bots you know? you know someone someone today just posted in one of the fan communities uh that they were they were putting together a um uh uh red alert inferno hot rod deck because they wanted all of the fire i was about to say is that the theme because <laughs> i didn't see that one but it sounded like uh, it. you know that's awesome yeah and Transformers is there for those people, those players as well, and those Transformers fans. You know that's why it's one of the reasons why we so hard to go deep into Transformers lore. Lore is to reward players for whom Transformers is the reason they play, as opposed to the fact that it's a tabletop game. Right. Yeah, and I'm I'm definitely in that category. Although I lean towards the the competitive end. I I mean I'm looking at all the. The plastic. Speaking of blaster and Soundwave, I showed them off some of my G1 stuff on previous shows. But um, <laughs> Scott can attest I've I've latched on to certain builds just from my own personal attachment to characters for probably too long. But that's a, a story for another day. Um, Scott, was there anything you wanted to jump in on? Because I actually that was the end of Scott's list, but I had a couple other ones to sneak in. No, I'm good. So uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you, Drew, and you had briefly touched on this, and it, it kind of melds a few questions from earlier that uh, you guys are agile, I'll call it, looking at the organizational standpoint and the way things are going to shape up for, say, the 2020 season. And you had also mentioned earlier that you were looking at store levels running limited events. Is there, or should there be the expectation that we're going to see a origins gen con level event but limited um i think what the more accurate way to put it is that we see some events that are a mixture of limited and constructed play gotcha for anybody out there listening when i say limited i mean a draft or sealed deck format that kind of thing i should have prefaced that in the beginning i'm sorry <laughs> yep uh so opening up packs is a, a way that time has proven is a really fun experience. Right. Um, and it's really, really rewarding for players. Uh, there are, there are play, TCG players who are limited experts. 
Uh, so yes, um, we like limited a lot for a variety of reasons, and uh, you will see limited at at big events in the future. Awesome, that's great I, to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Oh god, I'm, I'm a big I'm a big fan of those kind of uh, events that have both. To be honest with you, I'm, I'm a big fan of those. I think those are the most skill testing. Yeah, um, agree. They, they test all around. If you know, if you, if you, if someone really wants to be the champion, being able to craft a deck inside of a metagame and then also craft from that small pool of cards and play what you uh, randomly receive to the best of the best that its potential is is really the true sign of a champion. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of different skills that play in that you wouldn't necessarily see for a constructed event. I personally always lean towards constructed, but I've played a lot of limited, and I'm looking forward to playing Transformers Limited. Yep, and <clears throat> excuse me. Another thing that's been really successful for us that just from since we're talking about limited is Turbo. Uh, Turbo has been enormously successful for awesome. Transformers TCG. Um, I, I, I see people posting their box openings as Turbo. I was about to say that, yeah. Uh, far more than I expected. Uh, that that has become a, a great way for players to have a quick experience that's that's fun and meaningful. But it's also turned out to be the right experience for someone's first game after they've learned the rules for the first time. Yes. Uh, and, and that has been a really, really great onboard format for us as well. That's great to hear. I, my wife loves that format herself. And uh, I know she's she's excited to get the opportunity to play it again at, uh, at Gen Con. Yep. And we, we turbo at lunch pretty regularly. Nice. <laughs> That's great to hear. Um, one of the, or before I kick over to the next thing, anything on that topic you wanted to bring up, Scott, or ask about? No, I said my piece. That's great. Okay. So, um, I was going to, one of the things on my short, much shorter list was uh, what kind of changes can we expect in 2020, but it sounds like there's a number of different things that are on the table, and it's also, we're, we're still pretty far out, uh, so I wasn't going to poke you too much about that one. One of the things I did want to pick your brain on there, Drew, is what went into the decision for cards being immediately playable upon release? So obviously, in this case, we're talking about Blaster vs. Soundwave and the Omnibots, respectively. Uh, I know from past experience in other games, it's the, there's sometimes gaps or sometimes like a, uh, a waiting period, so it'll release on the first, but it may not be playable for X or number of days or Y amount of time. What drove the decision to say, okay, as soon as you have it in your hands, you can run that in event same day? Uh, it was primarily the availability of 35th anniversary Blaster versus Soundwave at Gen Con. Okay. Since that product is actually going to be for sale at the event, mm -hmm. that that significantly enhances players' opportunity to obtain it before a qualifier event. If we didn't have the ability to have product available on site, we, we might have had a different decision. So as with everything, we're going to look and see how that works. We're going to test it. I mean, we made a lot of Blaster versus Soundwave 35th anniversary editions. <laughs> well, that's yeah. good to hear. Yeah, so... Um, a lot relative to last year's SDCC pack. Okay. Um, to put that in perspective. But that also so, is, I mean, obviously there, there's a lot of special, we'll call it, about the 
convention exclusive version, but there is going to be a retail release later on. So people obviously will have the opportunity to acquire those. That's correct. And and that, that the retail edition is coming out worldwide wherever Transformers is sold on September 30th. Awesome. Well, it's pretty close to my birthday. Uh, I guess I know what I'm putting on my list. So uh, <laughs> there you go. We've made it easy for you. Yep, exactly. Um, Scott, anything else that you wanted to? Uh... No, all my stuff's been answered. I appreciate it. Awesome. Was there anything specifically? I mean, we we just talked about the uh, Blastiverse Soundwave and the Omnibots, which at the time of this recording, SDCC hasn't happened yet, but we're going to be seeing those in other people's hands very soon. Uh, anything else that you wanted to bring up, Drew? Um, I think one thing that we'll, we'll, well, one of the things that we had tried to do this year, and because of, for lack of a better analogy, a meteor space and wiping out our plans, um, <laughs> was we were originally going to have 35 edition be the product that was sold only at SDCC. Okay. And have the, what we're now calling the, um, convention pack 2019 with the Omnibots be available at all the conventions and then have the retail of Blaster versus Soundwave come out later. Um, and I think that we are going to make a... Uh, now, now that we've learned a lot, we're going about this part of the process. We're going to um, try and, and strive to do that next year. To have an art-exclusive variant San Diego Comic-Con and then have a mechanically unique product available at many conventions throughout the world. Awesome. So moving forward, we're still going to see... A, I don't want to say a reason to go to the conventions because that sounds like it's the only thing, but where there's going to be another incentive to go to these destination events to try and acquire some of these unique products. Absolutely. I mean, that's part of Transformers' core brand DNA. Like, gotcha. STCC, Transformers has always had unique products at, at, at conventions. Right. Um, and for us, that's not just San Diego Comic-Con, but it's also local game conventions because that's our well not local but national level game conventions because that's our uh expression of that part of the transformers dna awesome i'm definitely looking forward to it soundwave being my man i got i'm super excited about it myself so i i will make every effort to be one of the first people in line at gen con (laughs) so for folks who are i just want to say this for folks who are going to san diego um Marcello Matere, who uh, is the Transformers artist who created the G1-style alt modes because they didn't exist. Um, there was, you know, the, the card art bot side is from the original G1 packaging, but the alt mode art never existed, so we commissioned Marcello to make them. He'll be signing at San Diego Comic-Con. So if this, if this manages to get to anyone who is at SDC, um, uh Check the sched- the Hasbro booth schedule for signing. To come and-, and you can come and have uh, Marcello sign the Last of Us Sandwich thirty fifth or or any of the other cards that he's created. That's really cool. That that's actually really cool. <laughs> I don't know what else yeah. to say about that one. That I wish I was able to make it to SDCC. It's not in the it's not in the cards for me this year. Ah. Uh... Um. So. Other than wow. that, was there anything else that you wanted to make sure we touched on, Drew? I don't want to. T- I know you're a busy man. I don't want to take up your whole afternoon. No, no. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you all at Gen Con. Um, right around there, we'll have some other cool announcements. 
Um, so uh, there's there's more stuff to talk about as we get get into the back half of the year and start working up to uh, War for Cybertron Siege Two. Awesome. That there's, I'm very there's some kind of shockingly awesome stuff in Siege Two. Ooh, like, and- kind of mind truly mind-bending stuff for Transformers fans. Are you... Are you... And I'm sure we're not going to get a direct answer, but is this from a lore perspective? Is this from a card game mechanics perspective? Or something outside uh, production-wise? I... I, I it, it, for both. But from... There, there's, there's at least one really thing um, from both a TCG point of view and all former lore point of view and i will say that we we were able to work really uh, you've seen this in siege one but with siege two mm. since they were mostly done from a lore point of view simultaneously we got a lot really getting deep with the transformers creative team interesting okay uh hmm there were there were some other transformers announcements today not directly tcg related so i'm very curious whether they it's have... not unicron uh, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I knew immediately where it was going okay okay um yeah it's not unicron but i will say uh sometimes you have to go through really what was that drew you were you, we lost sometimes you there for a moment you go through really extreme lengths to win a war Ooh. understandable okay uh, and I would say that from from both sides here, both Autobot and Decepticon. Interesting. I'm gonna have to gotta go hit the books and uh, do some research, see what that could mean. Yep, uh, I, I can't wait to share it with you guys. But first, let's get through some awesome organized play. Uh, Blaster versus Soundwave uh, retail edition coming out in September, and then um, there's actually even there's one more unannounced. Uh, release um that we'll be talking about uh towards the end of the summer before we get to siege um oh cool no actually right after siege 2 there's a there's a there's another unannounced thing that we haven't we haven't uh even talked about yet man oh great man there's there's a lot of exciting transformers ccg stuff on the horizon and i'm, I'm yeah, looking forward to hearing those things at gen Condro. I, I i can't wait to see you guys let's plan person yep yeah absolutely that's all that sounds fantastic. Well, again, Drew, thank you for coming on. I we really appreciate it. Cool. It's always it's always a pleasure to talk. All right, ladies and gentlemen, for for Scott, for Drew, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching, and please tune in next time for more random thoughts.